Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. I got to tell you, I'm starting to really get fond of these NBA playoffs. I, I told y'all a couple of weeks ago if it was up to me. I mean, they don't really ask me or care what I think. I get that. But if it was up to me, the finals would either be, you know, the Sixers against the Lakers. That'd be my number one choice. And my number two choice would be the Sixers against the Nuggets. And those two options are starting to look pretty good. What a great thing last night to see the Celtics wearing those embarrassing uniforms. What a what a shameful thing for that franchise. And again, I absolutely hate the Celtics. Probably the first team I well, I think it is. The first team I ever hated. Second team I ever hated was probably the the Minnesota Vikings. Because I didn't start hating the cheaters till the eighties. I mean, the, the cheaters were largely irrelevant in the in the seventies, in my mind, anyway. Um, I never understood why they wore puke brown uniforms, but 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 I didn't really care about them. Uh, I didn't start hating them till they started cheating in the eighties. Got you know all mafia into the mafia and all that stuff, but became outright criminals. But, um. So I I hate it. I've always hated the Celtics, but I always I still respect their history. And it's funny to see that they don't even respect their history when they wear those clown uniforms like they wore last night. That is just tremendous. And then to see them lose in them uh, is even more tremendous. Uh, I don't know. I guess you know everyone's pointing to the coaching. Guess that's a fair, you know, they've got a young coach and he doesn't have a lot of experience in the playoffs. And I guess that's a fair assessment of what's wrong with them. You know, they, they, they're loaded with talent, but I guess they don't have like, I mean, these guys aren't rookies, but they also aren't like, you know, 10-year veterans who have been in the NBA finals four or five time kind of guys. I guess they don't really have much of that. They just, I, I don't, I don't quite get the. I'm not ready to play in the playoffs. I get that in the regular season, but in the playoffs, how are you just not ready to play? I, I just, I don't quite get that in the playoffs. Now, I get like Mike Greenberg of ESPN. Sometimes I totally agree with him and sometimes he drives me bonkers like a lot of about with the stuff he says, you know, he fall he's a Tom Brady lover and all that. That, that he's a QW. All, all that stuff drives me bonkers, you know that. But 
But like he he got just blasted. Just blasted by because he suggested that I mean he go he went up maybe a little too far with it that Davis and LeBron just sit for game five. Well, if they get beat by 30, what is it gonna matter if they play or not play? Like you're better off resting if you're going to get beat 30, then playing and get beaten 30. Yeah, but there's there's situations in sports where optics matter, and the optics of sitting guys, you can't sit them. You just have to, again, they're going to they're gonna play them, and you just... Right. You just can't do it for optics. But, 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 but I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's... I don't think he should have gotten the backlash he got, because the idea is not that crazy. They've basically been doing that in certain yes, games this postseason. You because can see it. going through the motions, like you can say, well, they play. Well, yeah, but if they're not even really trying, all they're doing is expending energy in, a, in an irrelevant, useless situation. If, if they're not going to really be able to go for the win and they're going to get drilled like they did that, what did they get, beat 40 or whatever it was at Memphis in a similar situation – and why, why play 25, 30 minutes? Yeah, but you have to because, of because again, we've but already I had— But I get that, yeah. but, but, un, but, but, but then it becomes a semantical situation right. almost. So don't—I bl- mean, I mean right. this idea, like, understand what's going on. I, I, I don't—I understand that for optics you have to play, but I, I, think, I think load management, when you're as old— as as LeBron is, I think load management is a real. I don't have a serious problem with that. Uh, you're, you're trying to win, you know. It's just like if you have an ace pitcher, you you, you save him for the time that you feel like you, you can maximize. I don't have a serious problem with that issue. But no, last night was tremendous, great victory for the Sixers over the Celtics and the Nuggets. Man, I got a chance to see a little bit of that Nuggets game. That is testy. You got to like that. That is testy. They don't, they're acting like they really don't like each other. And there's a lot of pushing and shoving and uh, that, that, that's a fun series. Now, that series is also looking like it's shaping up to be anyway a series that flies in the face of that old cliche, you know, this a series doesn't start until a road team wins because it's not looking like so far. I mean, all the games haven't been played. You know, it's not looking like a road team is going to win. And uh, if the Nuggets, you know, handle their business, then that's going to mean if that continues, then that means they'll, they will advance. And so I'll, I'll be I'll be glad. Now I got to tell you, this cat Devin Book, he really is good. Like man, he is impressed. You can like him or hate him, or, or you know, I don't I don't like or hate him, but I man, he is really good. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Uh, before I talk about the NBA, I want to um, I want to talk about something I said last week. Remember, I mentioned the coach having two um, selections in the first round and the uh, first five picks. Yeah, uh, Itman and Coriat. Yeah. The Redskins also, I forgot, and I tried to call it back, but the Redskins also did that in, in uh, 2000 with uh, LeVar Ayrton and Chris Samuel. Right. Um, Those are Ricky and Williams picks, and, and and they didn't, I mean, they were okay, but they didn't, like, you know, 
It didn't turn it. They, they, they didn't do much with it. In other words, with their overall franchise. Chris Samuel was an off road, but and he had to retire early. He had a, I think his neck was something. I forgot what it was. Chris Samuel was a nice uh, tackle uh, back in the day. Um, but you're right though; they didn't really have any success. So, um, yeah, man, last night was really the first time. Uh, I said, you know what? I'm gonna watch this series. You know, game five. I just didn't have really any time to really watch it. After the second quarter, I was like, I'm done. I already knew that uh, Nuggets were going to win this game. Um, I think it's I think it's over for a six. I think uh, the Nuggets will win on the road next game. I know Chris Paul supposedly, you know, he's supposed to play. Um, I wanted the Suns to get eight involved early, um, but that didn't happen. I just the Suns just they don't have enough on the team. Um, if he's lining up, and guess what? See that that's what I'm talking about. These comments, resting LeBron, resting AD. It's trash, man. See how the media, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. At first, they, they only play as about load management. So you're going to sit up here and talk about resting a player uh, during a crucial moment. I don't, 3-1 doesn't mean anything. They still have to win the next game. You just can't let go. Put Golden State away. Just can't have, you can't have Golden State lingering around. Put them away. The, wor- the absolute worst thing that can happen, the absolute worst-case scenario for the Lakers is that they actually play hard in game five and lose because then you severely diminish your chance of winning game six. I, I don't know, man. I, like I said, man, hopefully they can win out they can, tonight, right? Hopefully they can close out tonight. Oh, I hope they do too, but I, I, I don't I don't really think that has – I don't think that's realistic. Yeah. What, do you think they should play? I think if they, I think you got to play, or everyone's going to go crazy. But I wouldn't play him for very long. I, I, I not wow. so much Anthony Davis, but LeBron. I mean, LeBron, he couldn't make a shot the other night. He was, they were so lucky that Walker did what he did. LeBron couldn't make anything down the stretch. It's hard to game, man. He's just old. Ah, uh, here we go. Look, look, look. Of course, man, man, been in the league for twenty years. What do you expect? That's why Anthony Davis and the role players had to step it up. Uh, also, history is on the Lakers' side, man. I want, hey, I want them to face the Nuggets. I'm getting tired of the Nuggets. Um, and guess what? If you look at, I think, 85 and 2009, and, of course, the uh, COVID year, when the Nuggets made it to the Western Conference Finals, they had to face the Lakers. And guess what? They haven't beat them yet. So, sometimes that can be a bad thing, you know. But, hey, we'll see. Like I said, I don't want to uh, count my eggs yet. Hopefully, we can wrap it up tonight. All right, take care. And I think also underlying in all of this is it's thinking that way is may I don't know, I guess you could argue giving too much respect to the Warriors. I, I but I, I don't I don't know that you can I think you're just assume I think there's a certain level of assuming that the Warriors as the defending champion and done everything they've done over the last six years, they're going to be proud enough to come back home and play great and win after such an embarrassing last three or four minutes of that game. It's also just like it, it goes against convention. There's a few, there's a lot of different angles to this. Like, first of all, I think, you know, I haven't competed at the highest level of professional sports, right? But I think there's a mentality that you have to go into games. If you're going to win a game like this against a team like this in the playoffs, you have to go into that game with a locked in mentality. And, to me, it just feels like the Lakers haven't done that a couple of times this postseason, but it's worked for some, like, it's worked. They've they've picked their spots, and I don't know if LeBron would ever admit it to you. I think maybe maybe I'll, maybe if we look back on his career when he's retired, you ask him about certain situations, maybe he'd tell you, but 
The other thing is that if you're like I, that's the other thing too. I think we talked about the scenario. Well, if your role players get really hot and you got to, you have a few things going for you early on, maybe you just all of a sudden go all in. But if you're not locked in with that mentality of you're going to win this game when you go into it, I don't think you have a chance to win it. So I think that's another thing that plays into this. Are they going to be focused and ready? And we should we should see that within the first eight ten minutes of this game. We should and know. I, I, I'm all of that makes sense. I'm just saying the absolute worst case scenario for the Lakers is to go all in and lose. If they go all in, they better win or they're in trouble. That's just like the team that throws their ace off schedule maybe in game two. Like, well, then or you better win game two. Or something. Yeah, you better, you better win, win yeah. or you're in deep trouble. That's the, wor- the worst case scenario is to go all in and lose because then your chances of winning game six go way down. That's just the way it is. And remember... I guess there's a lot of logic to it. I don't quite get it, but I mean, I kind of get it. The whole the 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 old cliche in, in NBA for years is your complimentary players play well at home, but not on the road. And so, you, 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 everything points towards that. We'll see what happens. Take a timeout and be back. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game we have with us. All right, we will. Um, we're gonna get to talk LSU baseball with our friend Koki Riley, who um, he was out last week, and um, we'll see. The LSU had a dominating fourteen to four. Seven-inning victory last night over the Demons from Northwestern State. And the, um, you know, Hurd started, and he had a kind of a rocky first inning. And after that, things settled down. And so we have with us, how are you, Mr. Koki Riley? Doing really well. How's it going, Kevin? Oh, pretty good. Uh, things are going my way, uh, NBA playoff wise, and and the Astros snapped a a three game losing streak. So it's a good day for me right now. So far, we'll see how how, how it how it progresses. All right, last night Blake Money had you know pitched pretty well. Is he one of the guys, or is there someone else that comes to mind that? You you feeling pretty good maybe about giving you some innings down the stretch and into the postseason that could make LSU's pitching question maybe give some answers to some of those pitching questions. I think Thatcher Hurd has looked a lot better the last few weeks. Um, he started last night's game. He did give up a run in the first inning and have had some slight control issues, but overall, I mean, one run and three and a third, and just another uh, respectable. Um, outing from him. Um, of course, it wasn't perfect with the run against the Northwestern State team. That frankly isn't that great. But either way, like 
I think he's just looked a lot better and a lot sharper over the last few weeks, and I think that's an encouraging sign for this team. Um, but, I mean, outside of him and, I guess, Paul Skeens, they haven't had a lot of positivity going going around with the pitching side. I think Gavin Gidry's been pretty solid for them recently, but he had a hiccup, I want to say, a week or uh, uh, what, two weeks ago. Um, it's hard to keep track now. It's just, there's just so many guys that have shown promise and then they slip or have slipped uh, quite a bit, and now they're showing promise. It's just a lot of inconsistency with a lot of different guys. And um, not only is it hard for anyone, all of us to keep track, it's also – uh, hard for Jay Johnson in terms of trying to rely on someone who who he can just uh, lean on for a lot of these tight end of game scenarios. I mean, look at a guy like Griffin Herring couldn't get in and out this past weekend, struggled the weekend before, but was arguably the best reliever on the team before that. So um, it's just I can go really go down the line and, and pick out guy after guy after guy. Like Christian Little had a really good start uh, about two weeks ago. Now he has struggled in the last two starts. So, um, and, and a lot of that has to do with control. Like, I mean, th- this team just has a lot of trouble um, throwing strikes outside of false schemes. So um, it, it's, um, it's definitely concerning. Uh, before we uh, get on to some other LSU issues and what's looking forward, you know, I'm not suggesting they're going to do what Ole Miss did, but three weeks ago, not a lot of people were talking about Auburn. They played really well against South Carolina. Now they played well, really well against LSU. And, and then now they're looking at two of the bottom feeders the rest of the way in the conference. I mean, it's kind of, you know, is Auburn trying to pull an Ole Miss here? Yeah. If this pitching, I guess, resurgence because they've had some of the worst pitching in the SEC this season. If that's a real thing, then um, yeah, they're they're definitely going to be competitive. And I mean, I think last year you and I were talking about how oh, the SEC is maybe a little weaker this year as a, as it's been in years past. You know, it's I, I mean, the moment you think that um, something happens that sort of snaps you out of that notion, and um, this is an incredibly deep conference. And every team is has at least some quality to it. Uh, even a team like Alabama that has struggled to beat some of the better teams, like they're still around 500, they're still going to have a chance to make um, the tournament for sure. So and have a, and still have some opportunities to do so with the SEC tournament coming up and whatnot. Um, even though LSU swept them, so like just go down the line, and it's hard to find a team that um, that L, that LSU can truly just sort of stomp on and move on. Uh, Mississippi State might be one of those teams, ironically enough, but, I mean, Georgia's had some big uh, weekend series wins against very good teams. I mean, Arkansas is playing really good baseball right now. Uh, Missouri's had its moments. I mean, I can really go down the line and and outside of the the top, top teams like Arkansas and South Carolina and Vanderbilt and Florida, we know they're good. Um, And and, and find... uh, quote-unquote bottom feeders that are going to be contention to make the NCAA tournament. And Auburn's certainly one of those teams that could be successful on at LSU in back-to-back weeks. All right. So, look, you mentioned Mississippi State. LSU finishes with Mississippi State at home and Georgia on the road. Mississippi State is a team that, you know, they, they won a game from Auburn. They won a game from South Carolina. So it's not like they're a, a team that you can just guarantee a sweep, although – 
They've lost six in a row in conference play in seven of the last eight, so they're certainly reeling right now. So getting back to LSU's pitching issues, I think most – I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think there's probably – some LSU fans who are really, really, really concerned and some that are kind of, well, they can hit their way through this so they're not all that concerned about the pitching inconsistencies. But do you feel like these next two weeks, if the if the if if they don't do a better job of getting people out against Mississippi State and Georgia, then maybe those, those concerns will really, you know, be heightened going into postseason play? Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I mean, it kind of depends how low it gets, right? If it gets low enough to the point where, you know, they're either almost losing or losing, um, like, the majority of these last six regular season games because of their pitching, and the offense is still, you know, re- generally doing its job. I think, like, one of the keys of the Auburn series, to be honest, uh, was that, yeah, the pitching was probably a little bit worse than it has been the last few weeks, but the offense was a lot worse, and that's what really put them into a hole, um, especially on Saturday and Sunday. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on what happens exactly. But, I mean, if, if this pitching staff can't, you know, play respectable baseball against a Mississippi State offense that, frankly, isn't that great outside the top three hitters, then, yeah, I mean, they could be running into some issues um, for sure. So, um, and yeah, but, I, I mean, I fully expect this offense to – uh, play well enough to the point where that's not a concern. I mean, Mississippi State probably has the worst pitching staff and the worst defense in the SEC. Um, the pitching, pitching wise, I mean, there's quite a few contenders uh, for that bottom spot. But both are, but but I mean, um, I mean, Urangelo Yente. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, he's the he's the starting pitcher who can throw the throw. Uh, with both of his arms, um, pitch with both of his arms, which is really, really cool. But he also has an ERA over seven. Um, and uh, we got Lynn and Gartman. And it, it, it's, they have a lot of pitch starting pitching issues. Kate Smith started Friday's last, last, this past week. Um, so, I, I mean, none of those guys have really been all that great as starting pitchers. Kate Smith's been a little bit better, but he started less games than the uh, after than the last two uh, men that I just mentioned. So uh, they're, they're starting pitching situations a real mess. They have the worst defense in the SEC. They have the most errors and the lowest fielding percentage by a pretty good margin. And um, because of all that, when you're going up against an offense like LSU, LSU should uh, win this series in a relatively easy sweep. Um, if they can sweep Alabama, they can sweep some other – if they can sweep a team like Alabama, they can sweep – uh, Ole Miss, so they should be able to sweep this Mississippi State team. Will they is another question, but should they? Probably. Um, even though we've already talked about the, uh, the quality of depth of this uh, SEC. Well, in other words, coming off their first conference weekend loss, we probably won't need any secret phone calls if you would like to lay a wager on this game, is what you're saying. Yeah. On this series. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ole Miss isn't a very good team either, and, and, and they barely swept them. Um, but I mean, LSU also won the first two games pretty handily, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so I would expect at least something like that. Maybe Mississippi State gives them a game in one of these games. I, I think that's 
that's the expectation. I, I don't know if you want to put all your money in on a sweep. It's hard to sweep anyone, um, especially if it's in the SEC. But if you want to put a, a lot of money on you know LSU winning the series, I, I think that would be pretty safe. You know, um, the next week, it's a week from now, it's going to be interesting to see, like, especially if they get this sweep, like, how important, like, if if you're Jay Johnson, like, are you even worried about seeding and all that right now? Or, you, or do you just kind of play everything out like you normally would? Or, or do you kind of, um, you know, I, I just I'm just trying to get in my mind like how important is the SEC tournament going to be for him with all of the injuries and pitching issues he has. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think you just want to have a respectable performance in the SEC tournament. I don't think they have. I don't think they have to win it. Um, they're in a position where I think they're going to have a top four, top five regional seed regardless of what happens in the SEC tournament as long as they finish off the regular season, I don't know, five and one, six and oh, or something like four even four and two. Uh just because they have the they have the they have a I mean, they have a lot of quality wins. <laughs> and sometimes you take that for granted just because they're expected to win every single game and every single right, series right. because again they were the number one team until this past week. But um Regardless, like I don't think this SEC tournament. Now that you mentioned, it, I don't think this SEC tournament is that um, important for them. They they just need to get out of it healthy. They need to get out of it, you know. Hopefully, playing relatively well. Although that isn't even quite a requirement either. Um, I, I guess the, if you, if I guess if the pitching if the pitching looks more respectable heading into the NCAA tournament, that that would certainly be helpful. But um, there have been times where we thought, oh, this guy's turning has turned around. This guy's turned around, like I was talking about earlier. And then it just the and the and the absolute opposite happens the next week, right? Um, I guess finding some consistency leading into the SEC tournament and then having that continue into the NCAA tournament—that's what you want to see. Um, so, so that's just me sort of combining the regular the end of the regular season with the SEC tournament. But I mean, outside of that, like I don't think there's a whole else whole ton else that you have to see other than just the pitching improving over the next few weeks and through the SEC tournament. All righty. We'll see. We'll discuss that a little more next week after what we feel like is going to be a sweep of the Bulldogs, and we'll see what happens. We appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline, 706-0111, 706-0111. If you would like to talk LSU baseball, uh, Cajun baseball did not have a good performance last night. What a miserable night that must have been. First of all, the 6 o'clock game started about 8. And... Um, then you go out and pitching does not go well. 
Christie gives up four runs in two innings. Couch gives up three runs in a third of an inning. Marshall gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. And Tate gives up two runs and doesn't get anybody out. You give up four in the second and five in the seventh and get beat 12 to 8. Now look, in the in the big picture it doesn't mean a whole lot. I don't think any of us really think the Cajuns are a candidate for an at-large bid into an NCAA regional. They're going to have to win the tournament like they did last year to get into an NCAA regional. And so yeah, in the, you know, does it matter a great deal? Probably not other than, you know, you're hoping that some of these guys could pitch better. I mean, uh, they're going to need them. I mean, some of these guys, it, you know, in the bullpen is, you know, I guess bullpen, bullpen guys, relievers, are kind of like offensive tackles. <laughs> A little bit like Montero, for instance. I don't know how many outings he's had, but let me just throw out some numbers. I I think let's say he's had 20 outings. 16 of them have been good. And you ask an Astro fan right now what they think of Montero, and they're ready to, you know, sell him down the river because they're so angry at him, they don't even know. What to there in in their mind he's absolutely horrible and he has pitched horrible in his last three outings but he only had one bad outing before that and so I it, you got like an offensive tackle can play fifty plays and if he gives up two sacks out of fifty plays then we say he was horrible. And it's kind of like that for relief pitching, but man, it's just—I don't know. I—it's hard. So many of the guys for the Cajuns in the bullpen—they've had their moments, but they're just so much up and down, and so many memorable kind of just hadn't gotten it done. So we'll see. Uh, again, they need to get it done this weekend. Texas State is not what they were last year. But they're still a really good team that on paper is either a little better or at at worst even than the Cajuns and, you know, arguably a little better than the Cajuns. So, you know, so this is going to be that, you know, it's just a revolving door with this pitching staff. You never really know what you're going to get. You just you just don't. So certainly, if you want to talk Cajun baseball, LSU baseball, uh, feel free to do that. We talked pretty much NBA the whole first segment, and things are kind of going my way. So I'm kind of kind of liking things, the way things are going in the NBA playoffs. Not over yet. Again, we'll see how the Lakers handle tonight's game situation in terms of minutes played and. And all of that, and, and, and you know, m- maybe to Dawson's point, if they come out and go for it and, and you get to halftime and you're down one or up three, just you better win. 
you just you better win. We'll see how that plays out. So any thoughts on the NBA? And last night in in Major League Baseball, it was it was nice. You know, we talk about ace pitchers. And the job of an ace pitcher is when you are struggling, you go out and pitch like an ace pitcher. Framber last night was going against Shohei Otani. And the Astros had lost three in a row. They are really struggling on offense right now. And he went out, and other than giving up a solo homer to a 14-year-old, I mean, this guy, first major league homer, he looks like he's about, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old. I never even heard of this guy before the season started. He had a solo homer, and other than that, he gave up nothing. I mean, he pitched eight innings, gave up three hits, struck out 12. Might have been the best outing of his career, (laughs) and he's had some really good ones. Uh, He was awesome last night. That was great to see him go out and say, look, we need to win this game. We've lost three in a row. I'm going to pitch like an ace against a guy that everyone is, you know, worships. And um, it was was a great performance and a great victory. And of all people, Candy hits a two-run homer off of Otani uh, to kind of you know, provide the difference between winning and maybe going extra inning. So that was a great, 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 great victory for the Astros. They play a day game today. We'll see how that plays out. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, sir. Kevin, I don't know about you, but, boy, I was sure take them two, uh, them two big boys at the back of uh, the Orioles' uh, bullpen for my bullpen. I mean, even Cash from Tampa Bay said, my God, them guys at the back are unbelievable. You saw what they did last night against Tampa Bay? I uh, saw that Cano they won, what, 4-2? to two? Well, Cano, Cano went 1.2 innings, and Batista went 1.1 innings. And I think they each like, had a couple of strikeouts against the top of the, uh, the uh, Rays on a Franco or a Rizarina. They were swinging and whiffing against them big, them big boys. Well, they didn't, they, you know, they didn't get it done against Atlanta over the weekend, but there's no question they're very talented. But you know, them guys, the both of those guys, they, they, I think they both pitched a Friday game because but they, they pitched so much games. They didn't pitch the other, uh, the Saturday and Sunday games. The, uh, the uh, manager for Orioles said that it's not been using. But I'm not saying that's the reason why they lost uh, the uh, Braves. Uh, the Braves, but I think I think one of them games, the Braves came back at the end of the game, and it wasn't against. Uh, yeah, but I'm pretty sure Bautista was on the hill when the Braves won in extra innings in that. And I think it was the last Sunday oh, okay. game, but I could be wrong. All right. But anyway, them guys are good, you know. And uh, Kevin, um, going back to the NBA, you know, you know, if you were a Laker fan, or you are kind of a Laker fan, do you rather would you rather play the Suns or would you rather play the uh, the Nuggets? Probably the Suns, but 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 again, I, I just I don't I you know I'd rather look. I'm not a diehard Laker fan like I was back in the '70s and '80s. I just want. What I like, I could stomach losing 
to the Nuggets and the Nuggets making the finals. It would be hard. And look, I don't hate the Suns. I just, the whole Durant thing and the, the way everyone just, when he went there, oh, they're the, they're the automatic favorites out of the West. Why? Like, why are they the automatic favorites? I, that stuff just drives me bonkers. I really have nothing against the Suns. It's just the way people talked about it makes me want to hope that they don't make the finals. I think the, uh, the Nuggets would be harder for the Lakers because of, you know, being a sort of the mile high attitude, you know, the, uh, the thin air. That's going to be harder for LeBron to play at his age. You know what I mean? It's going to be harder for him to go out there and be uh, old as he is to be, you know, fresh at the end of the game because of the thin air. That's fair. And I really like their complimentary pieces better. Like Bruce Brown had a great game last night. And Porter at times can really be a force. I just think they have more depth. And you know, Kevin, going back all these series, I'm telling you, coaches making a difference almost all these series. You know, uh, Missoula was the third guy there in the Boston bench last year, and now he's the head coach. He's showing his his that he ain't too good of a coach. You know, we already know about uh, the other situation with uh, uh, the uh, what what was the one? Uh, I forget the name of the one I'm talking about. Uh, but anyway, I'm just telling you, coaching is making a difference in all these series, I find. Because, you know, most of the time these teams are not say evenly matched, but they're close enough to where coaching makes a difference. And I think coaching is making a difference in a lot of these series. I mean, I think Hams is out doing a curve. I mean, as good as I think Kerr is a good coach, Darvin, Darvin Ham is doing a, Darvin Ham is doing a good job with the Lakers. I mean, it, when it comes down to the end of these, these games, with these different sets and everything like that, coaching matters. Oh, I, I, I agree. It does, no question. And, and depth matters too. And maybe there's that goes hand in hand at some point. But uh, I think I think depth is a, is is a big deal as well. Of course, how much you play your depth and how do you utilize them as a coach can 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 play a role in how good your bench plays as well. To your point, you know, sports. I mean, look, he may he's he's making Thibodeau look like a fool. I mean, I mean, it just, it just is what it is. I'm just telling you right now. It's going to be. I, I think right now it might be looking at uh, uh, finals of the Sixers and the Nuggets, and whoever would have sunk of that. that have a good that, day. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be back. This is footnotes on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. How much does Foot despise the San Francisco 49ers? Well, you be the judge. I love turning 50 because I was no longer a 49er. Back to Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. To footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline 706-0111. All right. So I got up this morning, and one of the first things I saw on the screen was this graphic of the games that were played that are scheduled to be played in Europe this year. And the Saints were not one of the teams. So the NFL schedule is going to get released tomorrow. And somehow there was this leak that the Saints were going to play the Patriots in Germany. Instead, the Patriots are playing 
Is it the Colts? The Colts in Germany. I'm all for that. I I, I, I just, I mean, some of it is just a me thing. It, it, the Saints playing at like 9 o'clock or 9.30 on a Sunday, it just doesn't, it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't work for me. I hate it. It's uh, it's it's just not good. It's pub on. So I am. Uh, that's a lot of that is a personal deal. And the Saints lost this year when and they got absolutely cheated in that game. But it for the most part they've played well. Like many years ago, they beat the Chargers. They beat the Dolphins like twenty to nothing. Whenever that was three or four years ago. Um. So it's not like they've played terrible when they've been there. You know, they really outplayed the Vikings and they just got cheated in that game. And I guess you can get cheated in Europe and America just as like you can get cheated in Europe, I guess. I don't know. But you, you hate giving up a, a home game and, you know, and have to go play over there. And so that didn't happen. And it was going to be a road game anyway, according to the rumor. Uh, and it didn't happen, so that was good. We'll 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 see the the whole schedule and how it is. Again, there's going to be a lot of people making a lot of statements about the schedules when they come out tomorrow. Remember this. Just remember this. It's not who you play; it's when you play them. And you know that goes. Some of that statement goes to what I was talking about. Yesterday or complaining about yesterday, like, you know, if you got to play on a Thursday after a Sunday, it doesn't matter who you play. That is brutal. It's just brutal. If you have to play on the road on a Monday night and the other team is off the week before, that's not a good matchup. It doesn't matter who the team is. So it's not. And plus, some of that is that, and some of that is you just don't know about injuries. I mean, nobody can know that. Even, you know, the people that, even the NFL that tries to manipulate the schedule and cheat for this team or that team and favor this team and and protect this team and all that, it, it would, would, would the schedule or give this team the raw deal, they can't know what injuries are going to happen, you know, five months from now. They, they don't know that. So, Injuries play into it. That's the great unknown. And then there's the um, sit around a, a, um, a conference table where I, you know, with all the time in the world, and and I give this team the raw deal, and this team gets a, a cush schedule. Uh, again, not who you play, but how, when you play them in relation to the other games and days off and short weeks and travel and Europe and all that craziness. So uh, it's not who you play. It's when you play them. And who do you play the week before? And where do you play the week before? And where you all that plays into how difficult a game is. And so we'll um you know, you you want to get the schedule. I mean, I, I don't I know some people say that it's overhyped. I guess everything is overhyped to a certain extent. I mean, there are a lot of people that think they that really believe the the NFL draft is overhyped. Okay, but it's still 
you want to see the schedule. Do they? Is there too much pomp and circumstance around how they release it and all that? Probably yes, I would agree. But still want to see the schedule. And again, um, you know how fair or unfair is it from from the parts that can be controlled? And then other past that, it's again you don't know. Like last year at this time, everybody thought Jacksonville was like the easiest game you could play. Well, turns out Jacksonville wasn't the easiest game you could play. So we don't know who that's going to be this year. Every year there are teams that, when you look at it in May or April, you say, well, that was, that's an easy game. Well, you don't know how. That team might shock everybody and, and finish five games ahead of what they're projected. The other thing that people don't understand that just throw out these, this is easy schedule, this is a hard schedule, is teams that own other teams. They don't, they don't, understand, they don't factor that in. For instance, the Titans own the Saints. Like, they just own them. And I don't care what the Titans' record is. The Saints have played them when they were great and when they were terrible. They struggle every time. That's it for our number one, our number two to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3133 on LUS Fiber to Game Hotline 337-706-0111. We've talked quite a bit of NBA today. So if you would like to weigh in on any of those subjects, certainly feel free to do that, as well as UL baseball. Uh, rough loss last night in Ruston, played late. Put it this way, the Astros played at the little MVPs. When that game was over, the Cages were still playing. <laughs> they were still playing. It was a crisp. It was a nice crisp Astros game, though. I appreciated yes. that out of Framber. He was thinking of me for that one. Like it was over before eleven. Um. By the way, something. Two things came out of last night. One of them on the field. Dubon left the game with a hamstring pull of some sort. He got a uh, single. I don't remember. I think he got a single, if I remember correctly. And somehow. Like, he must have did it running the first, although they didn't show actually him running the first because they were showing the ball going into center field, if I'm remembering the correct play. And Dusty was, like, out of the dugout before he even finished his turn and coming back to first base. So, uh, not good. Uh, You don't know how serious it is, but Altuve is probably still, like, two weeks away. I'm just guessing. I have no idea just based on what people are saying. So certainly hope that it's way less than two weeks that Dubon's going to, before he be, you know is back, it's not like Dubon is going to the Hall of Fame or something, but he's done a really nice job. One, he's really good defensively. He's got a lot of range at second base. And, and two, he's done a good job of getting on base and, and, and getting big in hits. And, I mean, he, you know, he's done a nice job. And so – I don't want to see too much of David Hensley, and and I want Hensley gone by the time, you know, somebody else like Brantley comes up. But they won't be able to do that. Hensley won't be able to be the. They're going to have to 
keep him uh, if 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 Dubon is not healthy. So could get tricky. Injuries continue to mount for the Astros. Now the other thing have have we have we come up with an explanation for this yet? The tweet that was put out. They were hinting, and when the Astros were in Seattle, they were hitting that Michael Brantley, who hasn't played since last June, is could could very likely going to return to the Astros in this series, this three game series in Anaheim. Well, he didn't play the first day. He was there last night, but he didn't play. We, I saw him in the dugout, and they claimed that he stopped hitting, but he didn't have a setback. So what, like? We're just going to... What does that mean? Let me me read the quote from Dusty Baker. I don't want to quote him without quoting him. Quote, not real... This is when he's asked if if they had a setback. This is from an article on MSN. Quote, not really. We decided to just take it easy for a couple days. And again, that's fine. He doesn't (laughs) have to take batting practice. That's one of the vaguest comments I've ever heard. But yeah, but is is it that they're giving him a rest? Before they play him, or is it that there's something physically wrong right, right. why he would not be here? Because okay, I I get not starting him in left field and playing him all night, but taking some swings in the cage, like we're not talking about moving rocks and moving moving mountains here. Like it it just doesn't. You need a day off from just taking some swings in the batting cages. Like you need a day off from that. That sounds to me like something like you're hurt. You know what I mean? Now maybe look maybe maybe it's just. They just simple as they want to take it off, and maybe we're getting lost in the semantics of what they mean by not hitting. Maybe they just mean he's not taking live at bats against bullpen work. I, I don't know what they mean by that, but it was it was strange. Well, when the little not the post game show, but like they do the little wrap up before they send it to the studios for the post game show. When Ta- when Todd Callis finished his little wrap up after the game last night, he said he I don't I'm not quoting him, but he said something like. Well, maybe we'll see Brantley tomorrow, Uncle Mike tomorrow, and maybe we won't. It was like he didn't think that it was a done he didn't sound like he had gotten word that it was a done deal that he wasn't playing today. He made it sound like maybe, but he didn't know for sure. Yeah, Dusty's comments make it sound like he's definitely not playing today. Um, saying that they're gonna take it easy for a couple of days and, and then kind of re so I would look, I would I would think, you know, Friday night. Maybe maybe get this thing ramped back up. Uh, maybe you see him in the lineup on Saturday. I, I don't know. I don't think you're going to see him tonight. They played or, a or today. White Sox. Yeah. They played well, a White Sox this week. Another thing is you got a day game too, so I I don't know how likely you are to start him on a getaway day anyway. If it's going to be his first start, so I, I I do not. If I if I had to bet on it, I would not think Michael Brantley's in the Astros lineup today. I don't know if you you said you saw the game last night. Yeah, good like Framber was really good. Like yeah. he made Trout and Otani look bad. Like he was really good last night. When we talked about his first few outings of the year, even though he didn't give up a ton of runs, he didn't look as sharp as we, right. would, you know, won. And that's what you're going to expect when you're ramping up. Did you see the comments about McCullers though? Which um, but essentially, they asked Lance about where he's coming along, and and he said that they said that he threw a little bit. Uh, pitched a little bit, and that he's going to kind of ramp up towards the end of the week, and then from there, he's going to start his spring training ramp up, essentially. So it sounds like it's at least like a month and a half away from McCullers. Oh, don't say a month and a half. Well, I was thinking June. They're saying he's going to, he's going to 
work his way back up to a full bullpen or something like that the next week or two, and then he's going to start his normal spring training ramp up, is what they said. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean you need full six weeks for spring training. I guess training, not, huh? but it, the way they said it made it sound like it's not going to be soon. Man, I hope it's not two months away. We'll see. Because I was thinking he was coming back in June. Well, June could, I mean, June's still, he could come back June 27th. Oh, <laughs> that, would be June. <laughs> that might as well be July. I mean, that, oh, man, we don't want that. All right, we'll see how that plays out. But at least they got the win last night. There still look too many batted bats. I just, too many batted bats. You know, they need Brantley to come back and be Brantley just to lengthen the lineup and have more major league at bats. They need major league at bats after major league at bat. At least Bregman's having some major league at bats. I mean, he was awful this weekend in Seattle, and and at least he's competing. In he didn't compete very well in Seattle, so we'll we'll see how that plays out. All right. So again, we'll be speaking with UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow uh, in about twenty five minutes. Uh, today there will be two. Weather permitting, obviously. Sunbelt Conference softball tournament games, one at one and one at four. The one scheduled for four o'clock um, is the one scheduled for four o'clock is the game that the winner plays the Cajuns, which is Georgia State against ULM. And so we'll see, you know, hopefully they get the game ends. I'm assuming the wisdom behind playing games at one and four is to give yourselves more chance if there's a rain delay or some sort of weather delay to, to get the games in before it gets too late. So that that seems like a wise thing, and hopefully it works out where they don't have any issues there. Uh, one of the things I'm going to – I plan on asking Coach Glasgow is – uh, do we, from a Cajun perspective, obviously you're going to be pretty heavy favorites no matter who you play, but do you want to play someone that you just played three games against, or would you rather play someone else that you haven't played lately? Like, which matchup? Like, if you're a Cajun fan, I mean, most Cajun fans are probably thinking, well, we're better than both of those teams. It doesn't matter. But, you know, look, you can get at beat them, so it can happen. I'd so, also, like, who do, who would you rather play? I'd also be interested to know, moving pad. the first game I don't think matters RPI-wise because both teams are pretty pretty bad in the RPI. Although I guess Monroe's in a better spot than, than Georgia State is. But uh, I'd be interested to know if, they wanna, if they're rooting for the best RPI possibilities, you know, as opposed to in a normal tournament situation, like the Cajun basketball, you, you weren't upset that South Alabama beat Southern Miss. But in this situation, I wonder if they're rooting for the best RPI opportunities to be the ones that they end up playing. Absolutely, because the other thing that Coach Glasgow was adamant about in Monday's presser is that what he's rooting for is to face the best possible pitchers. So he wants, which theoretically is on the better teams. I mean, that, there's a huge correlation there between those two. So he, he wants to face not just the best teams, but he wants to face the aces on the best teams. Now, does that increase your chance of losing theoretically? Yeah. But it also, in his mind, gets you more prepared 
than for a regional play the next week than to play someone's number two or three pitcher and win the game in a run rule fashion. That doesn't really help you very much uh, in terms of preparation, if any of that matters, really. Uh, you know, I guess you could say argue that it matters, but certainly, you know, winning a game. I'm just throwing out numbers. Five to one against a really good pitcher would help you more than winning a game 15 to two or something. I mean, that, those games are just useless. They pad stats, and, and for the most part, they're, they're useless. So um, we'll see how that plays out. But that's one of the questions. Plan on asking Coach Glasgow, and, and we'll, uh, they'll, the, you know, it's just kind of cool to have a, a postseason tournament in town hopefully the weather cooperates and you know I think one of the underlying I think one of the most interesting things about this tournament is going to be what does Marshall do in this tournament like for some reason there's been this big social media war going on with Marshall all season long like what are they just Extra sensitive, um, delusional. Like what? 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 What's going on here? I'm not sure, but there. Yeah, there's been a lot of Marshall um, comments, and I, again, this is fans. Which we had this conversation when it was about you know uh, James Madison ending the streak. This is mostly fans that I'm seeing. I'm not seeing players and coaches make these comments, but um, a saying that they've been disrespected as far as um, the way that the national or the Sunbelt player awards came out because Carly Heath was named player of the year. They thought their best player should have gotten it. There's been a lot of talk that they've been disrespect that they, they should have earned everyone's respect with their record. And I mean, I, like, I don't know what's been said that Cajun fans or whatever have simply said that the strength of schedule is not there and it's not. That's why their RPI is in the sixties. Like, like what, what, what is, I mean, does Marshall have this also great history in softball that I'm unaware not of that I know of. And the other thing that's funny about it is like, Marshall, they've they've saying well they played the schedule that's handed to them this and that and this and that they still didn't win the conference even though they had the easier schedule than the Cajuns so how can you I don't I, I just I don't, don't get it now yeah. I could see that this I kind of anticipated and I could see this kind of a situation with James Madison because of the hit you know their recent history of being really good in softball but I I I I, I don't know I'm just kind of blindsided by this whole Marshall thing I I, I don't. I didn't, I didn't quite get that. But anyway, it is what it is. But again, that's going to be one of the more underlying themes of this thing. How, do, how does Marshall do in this tournament? We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote. The real an award-winning journalist, popular sports talk show host, and a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decided to inflict them with, with the, the host bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. Not a normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. This out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. 
Dr. Foot is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. on this Wednesday. It is um was raining this morning. Hopefully the weather gets better over in Sulphur at the state baseball tournament. Uh, what, an hour and 15 minutes or so west of us and here in Lafayette for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament with games again at 1, scheduled at 1 and 4 today. We had one Acadiana area team play yesterday. They, you know, a game got delayed multiple times, but they ended up getting the game in. Opelousas Catholic, the four seed lost to Awashita Christian, two OCs playing each other, the number one seed. I guess you could say, as expected, a four seed losing to a one seed. So not um, not a shock there, but nice season for OC. And it, and the, it ended in the semifinals yesterday. Today on the schedule, Notre Dame is scheduled to play at about 11 o'clock. Assuming the game gets going, I, I have not heard a weather report from Sulphur so far this morning. But yesterday, last I heard, it, it wasn't looking great in the weather report. And then as you've are, we've already mentioned, St. Thomas Moore is scheduled to play today at five. So we'll see how those games, the five o'clock games yesterday are being played this morning. So we'll see. Hopefully we have, you know, better luck with the five o'clock games on today's schedule. Yeah. I, I did want to clear up a little bit because I kind of misspoke when I was talking about RPI. UL Monroe is actually 70 spots higher than Georgia state one twenty two, And again, higher and lower is confusing when you're talking about RPI better. I should say. Yeah. Uh, Yeoman Rose 122 as Georgia State's 192. So the better RPI opportunity for the Cajuns would be Monroe beating Georgia State. Uh, when it comes to Troy and Texas State, because that would be who you'd play the winner of if you moved on, Troy is 58, Texas State's 40. So that's a big, you know, that's not as big a difference, but it's a bigger difference because the top 50 wins matter sometimes when you're talking about resumes. So having a chance to play Texas State again would probably benefit the Cajuns. And then on the other side, of course, a lot's going to happen. There's going to be a whole set of games on that side of the bracket, so it's not as simple as saying you want this team to beat this one. But your best chant or your best RPI game would be the three seed South Alabama, who is 42 in RPI, 15 spots higher than uh, everybody's second favorite team, Marshall, who's 57. So your best RPI path is Monroe, Texas State, and South Alabama. If you'd like to have rooting interests in the other games, if you're going out to Lampson Park to watch the rest of the tournament. So, um, yes, yeah, so probably, again, to me, those are different discussions a little bit. Like, I think Coach Glasgow's answer would be, my, my I would guess, would, I want to play the team with the highest RPI, and I get that. But from a pure matchup stand, standpoint, you know, I, I'll ask him, um, you know, kind of, kind of what he thinks about that. And so... Yes. All right. So we've got uh, baseball, and then tomorrow, and uh, we spoke with Coach Scott Phillips of Eunice yesterday, and they play. They are scheduled to play tomorrow at eleven a.m. So hopefully, 
we co-op get cooperation with the rain there. Baseball, man. LSU has another midweek game next week with McNeese. Don't you just? I don't. Well, I think they're probably they're going to get an opportunity to keep getting these bullpen guys figured out. I think in their situation, you know, you're going to hit enough to probably win those games. So, honestly, in their spot, I think they're probably happy about it. Just give, I mean, you, you more opportunities for you know guys like Cooper and Hurd and those guys to figure things out. The thing is, it's not even a result-oriented thing. It's like, yeah, let's say they get them out, but, I mean, you know, if you walk three batters in two innings, even if you strike out everybody else, that I, to me, that's still not good. Right, well, that's what I'm I, I'm saying. I think they, they have an opportunity for those guys to figure out the walk issues and try and find the zone and feel feel good about yourselves going in. Because, like, right now, there's a I would imagine there's a long list of guys that Jay Johnson's sitting there going, if I have to put this guy into a somewhat significant situation, I am not going to feel good about it. And the list of guys that he feels really good about doing that with is a lot smaller, and I think he'd like to have that list, at least guys that he feels in the middle about, where it's like, okay, Cooper, like if you get Cooper who was at the beginning of the season, pretty reliable reliever for you, but like recently you just haven't had any confidence putting those guys in the game. No, I guess that's fair. I I just, to me, they just kind of get in the way. Now... With no more school, I guess, okay, I mean, you know, you can, uh, this late in the year, I don't know how kind of, how much, I mean, you're going to have to take some BP, but I don't know how many long practices you're going to have this late in the year anyway. And so, I guess, you know, to that, to your point there, and and, uh, it's not like LSU's going to be traveling in midweek games, especially this time of the year, like the Cajuns had to do, go play a game, and they were playing like till past eleven o'clock at in Ruston last night. I mean, at some point you have to be going. What am I doing? Uh, I, you know, it, it just you know that was just a bad break with with, with a weather delay there, but um, we'll see how, how, how that plays out. I just I don't know. This late in the year, midweek games just. I get your point about the pitching, just kind of tend to get in the way. But we were talking with Koki in the in about an hour ago about the uh, LSU's approach going into it. Again, I think many LSU fans are still okay, but I think these next two weeks, and and I don't want I'm I try not to be an elitist, but the bottom line is team like Mississippi State. I mean, they are. They are reeling right now. Like I said, they've lost. They've gotten swept the last two series and have lost seven of eight conference games. And to Koki's point, they're not pitching or playing defense. And a lot of times those go hand in hand anyway. I get that. But um, LSU is, I, you know, on paper, they're just – I mean, you could tell, at least we thought we could tell a week ago, that Auburn series was looking pretty challenging. Like, that was not going to be an easy series. And even if LSU had swept them, which they didn't, but even if they had, I would say that's a, that's a really good sweep because, you know, they just played really well against South Carolina, and it seems like they're they're getting all their ducks in a row. It, it, it seems the opposite from Mississippi State, like, their ducks are all over the place. They're not in a row. And, uh, you know, if you come out of this weekend with the same kind of pitching issues, 
then I, I, I think then it really becomes a serious, serious issue. Georgia, I don't know, uh, to Cokie's point, Georgia's probably been a little – had a, a few more nice moments in SEC play. They got four more wins in SEC play than Mississippi State does. They only have three more wins overall, though. It's not like you know their record is tremendously better. Um, but I, I would, I you know, if I'm an LSU fan, I, I would like to see fewer freebies. I you know I don't that that's been a huge thing for Coach Degg since the very first time I talked to him. You know, the first week of January when that was a month before the season even started. His his message was got to cut down on the freebies, and so to me it's it, it, you know what LSU's pitching. It's about you've got to show that against teams that you're just way better than that. You got to show that when you come in the game, I can not walk batters like Blake Money last night went three and two thirds, gave up, had two hits, gave up two runs, but he didn't walk anybody. And when LSU hits the way they hit, you can afford to give up runs here and there. And you're still going to be fine. But you can't afford to walk people and hit people. And again, the Cajuns last night, if you didn't see, they walked eight and hit two. And that just drives you bonkers as a coach and a fan. Again, it's one thing if the other team is hitting because, again, when the other team hits, when the other team swings the bat, they got to beat you and the game. When you walk them, they don't have to beat the game. You're just giving it to them. When, when, When they swing the bat, they could hit the ball 115 miles an hour. But if it goes right at someone, then the game got them out, or the piper, however you choose to look at it, gets them out. You didn't get them out. If you got them out, then you would have struck them out or hit a lazy pop-up or a weak ground ball right to the shortstop. You didn't get them out. The game gets them out. So when you don't make the other team swing, you're not allowing the game to help you. You know, what a lot of people say is you got to let your defense help you. Yeah, that's accurate. But for me, even more accurate is you let the game or the piper or whatever you want to call it help you out. You got to do that. You, if you, There's a chance that if they swing the bat, they're going to hit a home run. Absolutely. But, I mean, especially when you have a lead, sometimes I'd rather the guy hit a home run than sit there and walk him and walk him and put all these – because then all it takes is one big hit and, and, you, and you're in deep trouble. So it's all about not walking people and letting the game help you. And hopefully someone's telling Rafael Montero that right now to a previous conversation. All right, we'll take a timeout. Come back, UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us UL softball coach, Mr. Jerry Glasgow. How are you, sir? Doing good. All right, sir. Got several things. Obviously, it's an exciting week. The Cajuns hosting the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Starts with two games today, kind of play-in games, and we'll see how um, they go in, in the first round, although it's a single elimination tournament, so I guess it's all kind of play in this week. So my first question is not obviously from an RPI standpoint, Monroe's ULM's RPI is quite a bit better than Georgia State, so that's probably what you want. But from a pure softball matchup standpoint, would you rather play someone you just played three games against or someone who you haven't even played all season? Yeah, probably someone I haven't played, but I don't care. I mean, either one. I mean, those advantages, you you know ULM. We've thrown every pitcher at them except Landry. So we can show them Landry, and they've still not seen her. They've seen the other three. Um, and then if you go the other way, Georgia State, you kind of got the unknown there, but there's nothing to indicate that. You need to be scared of them, you know. So I don't really care. I'm not worried too much about that game. I'm putting more emphasis on just getting our kids to be in their best mental state to go into postseason and and make a run here in the in the conference tournament in the regional. We've talked a lot about it, and uh, deservedly so. How how many that you know that you've got five pitchers, and not just five pitchers that. Uh, are talented, but five pitchers that have all pitched in competitive games. A lot of times you might throw five pitchers, but one or two of them, basically they just throw like in mop-up duty. That's not really the case with your pitchers. But with that said, has Chloe pitched enough lately for for her for you to have confidence in her in a crucial situation in regional play, or, or where are you in that process? Yeah, I think she's really good. Like she lives for those moments of those tough moments where most pitchers, you know, you worry about pitchers getting panicky or showing emotion. Chloe lives for those moments, and that's when she's at her very, very best. So, yeah, I think she's she's fine. She's having bullpens and doing bullpens, you know, just like all the other pitchers. And it's just her freshman year, and she's kind of working while she waits. And she's definitely going to be, you know, a star pitcher here for us for the next three years and, and going to be one of our key pitchers. And, you know, I've even given some thought to – to rolling her out there tomorrow night just to, to give her that postseason experience going into the next three years. So if the situation arises, you I mean, it seems like if, if you can work it out that way, it seemed like getting her some postseason experience, even if it's just one inning this week, could be beneficial. Oh, yeah, anything she gets out there will definitely be good for her. It's not going to hurt her. I don't know that she necessarily has to have that because she's pitched. We're talking about kids that's pitching national championships at PGF out in California. I mean, one, one 16 and under national championships against, uh, she pitched head to head with a kid going to Florida, you know, next year that regarded as the top pitcher in the country. And she pitched head to head with her and left the game 0 0 after five innings. I mean, this is a kid that's extremely accomplished in tournament play throughout her whole travel ball career. So that, that doesn't change with, you know, a fall off. It's just or a spring off, you know, like this kid's got experience. You got the pedigree. She's going to be fine. It's, it's, 
if we can give her some experience, yeah, that'd be great. But will it change anything? Not doesn't in my mind. I I know what I've got with Chloe Rizzetto. All right, so all-conference came yesterday. The older I get, the less I get really upset about anything or really concerned about anything. But it is nice, I'm sure, from your perspective to see someone like Carly Heath get honored with a player of the year in the conference after everything she's done for y'all. Yeah, you know, you're, you're thrilled for the kids that got awards. You're thrilled to see a Carly Heath get player of the year. You know, the kid came here. Batted 97 times her sophomore year, batted 104 times her junior year. Could have been in the lineup every single day. Could have had 150, 200 bats, but she, you know, she chose to do what was best for our program and let me develop people around her to play with her and and develop herself. Obviously, never heard one, you know, never got a call from her parents complaining. Never got any uh, upset phone calls. They just patient, and then you see her the third year. You know, we put her in the lineup. I said before the season, I'm going to put her in the lineup and leave her every day because her last year and let her show out. And then to see her rewarded with that season and those circumstances and be named a conference player of the year is really, really exciting. And I think a, a model for what other kids and other parents need to, you know, recognize and realize, like, patience is, is important. And when, you, when you're patient with the game, the game normally will reward you if your talent is that great. And and Carly just a tremendous young woman to be around, and and really we've been fortunate to have that, not just a great athlete, but a great person in our program. Um, the other the other part, you you know, Maya Davis freshman year was exciting to see Lauren Allred get first team honors, and then I thought you know Lane Lears, uh, Alexa, Sophie. Definitely could have been first team. I don't think you can find a better shortstop in the in the conference than than um, than Alexa, and I don't think there's a better hitter or catcher in the conference than Sophie. And and then I think that anytime you win the conference four years in a row, you go twenty and two. For the other coaches to not think we have a first team all conference pitcher, I just think that shows the naivety of it's probably why we win the conference so easily every year is that. They don't understand the game if you don't think Megan Shorman and Sam Landry uh, and even also Candle Lamb in there. I think those three pitchers, I wouldn't trade them for any pitcher in the conference. I mean, they're, they're pitcher of the year is 0-7 against us with a 4.7 ERA against the University of Louisiana. I don't think we we don't have a pitcher on our roster that, that we're pitching in these games that isn't equal to her. That's my opinion as the head coach of Louisiana. That's not the opinion of the coaches of the conference, obviously. But I want to shout out for my pitchers because I, I wouldn't trade Megan Shorman, Sam Landry, Kendra Lamb, Carly Heath. I wouldn't trade them for anybody in the conference. And I, I think I know what it takes to win the conference. All right. One of the things that, that came up in this last week and is that even though it hasn't been discussed all year long, that there, it's basically the conference in terms of seating, uh, and it was decided – amongst the coaches prior to the season that there's basically division play, even though we haven't discussed it all year long. So the two, two seed in this tournament is the the best record from the East division, which is, is Marshall. Do you see that happening in the future? And do you feel like it could have just been handled better to at least make that known throughout the year? Yeah, no, I don't think it'll ever happen again. I think you see pretty easy 
at this point, you look at that and you, you know, you could have, you could have, it, it really didn't affect a whole lot because two and three are, you know, they've just reversed numbers two and three, but it could have been a disaster. You know, you could have had a, a team being down fourth or fifth in the conference moving up all the way to the two seed. It could really skew the rankings and, I, I think they'll go by percentage, but then I don't know. I mean, I, I, when you go to a head coach vote, you see what happens at our conference. Like, you, 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 you need conference leadership. Like that, to me, you need the leadership of the conference to make these decisions, not the head coaches. You need, you need good, solid decisions where, where, you know, people at the top are in charge. And I think it's a mistake doing it the way they did it, but, uh, you know, whatever. They, that 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 definitely, I think, will be changed though, because it's pretty easy to see now how you could have had a four seed in the two spot, and that makes no sense. A- 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 absolutely. Um, all right, Coach. So, one of the things that you said this past weekend is you really like where the kind of the team chemistry is right now, and and when you started out a season with thirteen, fourteen, fifteen players who you thought could help you. To be in that situation is a good thing. So, um, you know, just discuss that and, and, and where y'all are in a team. You, everyone's got to be pulling in the same direction to have success from here on out. Yeah, you know, this is the time of year where you got to come together as a ball club and you got to lock arms and go to war. And, and I think that we're in a great spot to do that. I think the kids are uh, really uh, coming together and they're, they're realizing – what we have to do to win as a ball club and as a team. And I think they're willing to sacrifice whatever on the individual level to accomplish something on the team level. And so that's my feeling going into it, and I hope it plays out that way. But I feel really good about where this team is. All right. So did you have you given Bobby or one of your assistants who's in charge of the weather over the next four days? Well, I'm afraid – I'm afraid it's God, not Bobby or my assistant. <laughs> we'll take we'll take what we come and we'll deal with it. You know, I, I wanted to play at that seven o'clock time because of the fans. I thought our fans deserved to watch us play at seven o'clock, and I'm kind of second guessing myself. You know, thinking, well, man, we could have picked ten o'clock every morning like the last two years and been on time. But uh, you know, that's going to cause a little bit of inconvenience for our players if we get in these long weather delays. But I only expect that on day one. I, you know, on there's only two games on Friday, and so I, you may have a delay because of weather, but you could have that at 10 a.m. too. I don't think it'll be changing throughout the day on on Friday and Saturday. I think, you, you know, it's, there's not that many games, two on Friday, one on Saturday. But this four-game day on Thursday does, you know, it does um, concern me a little bit because I could see us thinking at the beginning of the day we're going to play at seven and then a lightning strike and then another lightning strike and then a weather delay, stuff like that. We could, could lead us playing a nine thirty ten o'clock game, which is not ideal, but you know what? We'll, we'll overcome anything we, with, that's the beauty of going on the road to all these tournaments, to all these places like Baylor and A&M and Texas and going to Florida and playing the schedule on, a, on Little League Park, you know, that we played. We've been through some adversity, and we've got some mental toughness built in because of those experiences, and we'll just deal with whatever they throw at us this week and try to figure out a way to win the tournament. All righty. Coach, well, we appreciate your time as always. Good luck. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate you. 
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach foot would have been? When they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues, you catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah, he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. All right. So during the interview with Coach Glasgow, we got I saw the news that Cajun safety Cam Podesclo is now in the transfer portal. Um, just to clear up some things, yes, there was a deadline for the portal, but that deadline does not apply to graduate transfers. And so Cam's been around here a long time. Um, he was moving. He was one of the players that we interviewed during the spring interview sessions. And he was moving from his more traditional safety position to the star position this year. And the talk was that he was moving to, because that would be more of what his chances at the next level would present itself being more of a slot type guy, which is what the star does. Um, you know, they did a little, they, they do that. Like they did that with Andre Jones last year, where you move him to where he can get some experience playing in space and make your, make him more appealing to NFL teams. And I guess you could say that worked. He had a good year. He showed he could play in space and he got drafted. So by Raymond's little team, but, um, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, I guess if you know these players personally, then you might have a better idea of why, they were, you know, you enter the portal. Uh, as some school already told him, you know, if you enter, you can come here and play. I mean, who knows? I, we, we were, unless you know Cam specifically, I, I would think that, um, you know, we, we're all guessing. Now, from a pure what are the Cajuns missing standpoint, it's, it's I think the biggest thing you're missing with Cam is leadership because you've already lost and, and, and just all of his experience. I mean, you've already lost Braylon. You've already lost because of eligibility. You've already lost Eric because of eligibility. Uh, Trey Amos is transferred and he's going to Alabama now. I don't know so much that he's like the season leader. He's just really talented. So, you could argue that the three biggest leaders of the defense last year were Cam and um, Braylon. Braylon and Eric. And so now you've lost all three. So um, that, you know, he was moving to the star. I think they're still talented enough there. It's not the talent that I'm as worried about as, again, you're talking about Guys like Tyrone Lewis, who at least have played, they're going to have to really, he's going to have to really be a leader. Like, he's going to be like the only real experienced guy suddenly in the secondary. And so, 
you know, I, my, my biggest concern uh, for the Cajun secondary is just all the seasoning and leadership that they're missing. All right, other news. This is not surprising. We talked about this right after the draft, but Foster Morrow, ex-LSU player, has signed a three-year, $12 million deal. $8 million of it is guaranteed with the Saints. So um, we all thought this was going to happen months ago, and then he came down with this lymphoma discovery during a physical with the Saints. I mean, I can't even begin to, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, you know, you hear the word cancer, and so it's, you know, it's such a dreadful word. You know, how lim- how limited he's going to be, how, how, I mean, I think some people kind of thought this would happen, like, in the maybe the back half of the season. You know, there was just speculation. Um, does this mean he's re- he's going to be ready on opening day? I mean, I have no idea what, what all that involves. I mean, uh, I haven't even heard any real educated speculation on what this could mean timeline-wise. But... As long as it is what it is, as long as he is who he has been, and I guess you got to have faith that's the case if you're a Saints fan or a Saints front office guy right now, that was a it's a perfect signing at face value. Now again, I have no idea what physically what he's going to be able to do or limitations or any of that stuff. No idea, uh, but. If you take him for what he's been in his career, and if he can be that, and the fact that he's got, you know, he played with the Raiders and he has a prior working relationship with the Saints' new quarterback and Derek Carr, I mean, it's it's a great signing. You know, it's 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 what they needed when they didn't draft a tight end. I kind of thought this was possible or something similar to it, and it's happened. So. We will see. All right. We'll see how all the weather goes. Hopefully well. Y'all have a nice day.